Hey Chica, you're listening to episode 164 of the God Center Mom podcast with me, Heather McFadden. Today I'm chatting with Rachel Martin. She's a mom to seven and a mom encourager over at FindingJoy.net. Knowing when there's those moments and letting them go, like when my son Caleb saw the ocean for the first time and he was in his jeans and I just let him get wet. Like hiding all the inside of me was like, it's 58 degrees. It's going to freeze. But I, but the, the pictures I got of him afterwards, pure joy, pure, pure joy. And it was because I released it. He turned out fine. But then there's other times where I have to say, you know what, guys, I will play with you in a little bit, but I'm going to do the dishes right now because I know it makes me a better mom because I'm taking care of myself. So for me, it's about grace it's about knowing that sometimes you'll miss the moment and that's okay. It's okay because you have the opportunity today to have many fabulous moments. And if you live in regret, you're really missing out on moments today. You have many chances today to capture those moments. And by living in regret, we can miss them. Wow. So I've known Rachel for years and when I met her, she was a stay-at-home mom homeschooling her seven kiddos, and everything looked perfect from my angle. Well, about four years ago, she walked through a divorce and found herself a single mom, supporting her kids, traveling. She talks about that transition in this episode, and we talk a little bit about what is it like to go from that mask utopia where everything looks good to everyone and you're not letting anyone in to it finally being out there. And Our hope is that if you're out there and there's something going on at home and you don't want anyone to know, or there's something going on in your own heart and you don't want anyone to know, or a brokenness or a past issue, that there's some warning sign, whether it's a feeling, a recurrent feeling of anger or or shame or anxiety, that that warning sign is there to remind you to get help. Just like if my car has a low gas light, it's telling me, go to the gas station. My car's not going to drive itself to the gas station. Uh, it will break down. And our hope is to help you uh, not live a lie anymore, to not think that you're pretending is protecting you, but that there is a wholeness and a healing waiting for you on the other side of letting someone in and accepting help. Speaking of help and cars and warning signs, (laughs) at the the last 20 minutes of this episode, Rachel shares a recent story, something that happened even after we scheduled this interview uh, with her car and smoke and instruction. And it was so great, God's timing, that I feel the best way we can celebrate Mother's Day this year is to come around Rachel, to bolster her up, encourage her and say, we see you, we are for you. Um, This mom thing isn't a me versus you. This is an us. And we can be the hands and feet of Jesus. There's a GoFundMe that her friend started to help buy her new vehicle. And uh, I just feel like it's such a great way for our God-centered mom community to come together and support Rachel. But before you want to do that, I'm sure you want to get to know Rachel a little bit. So I wanted to read something that she wrote uh, so you get a little taste of her writing if you aren't familiar with it already. This Uh, article is called um, Why Being a Mom is Enough. You can hear me scrolling. She said, "Uh, the things that don't get celebrated on Pinterest that much, they're just the mom things that I write about and celebrate. They're the things that most people probably won't see. They don't see you stand in the bathroom and gather your resolve every morning. They don't see those of you who mother alone without much support. 
They don't see the trips to the car back and forth and back and forth. They don't see you counting to 10 a dozen times before noon. They don't see you look at the bank account and sigh and try to figure out how to make three meals with what's left in the pantry. They don't see you walking into principal's office, doctor's office, friend's house, and defending your child. They don't see bandages placed on knees, kisses on foreheads at night, pillows pushed just the right way and blankets tucked to the perfect demands. Laundry folded and folded and folded, tears that sting your eyes as you keep going, dinners prepped over the stove, times of laughter over silly things, hair brushed and pulled back into ponytails, prayers over wandering teens, prayers over little babes, nights spent sleeping in a chair holding a sick child, days where the house is a wreck but you're reading books, the brave smile on your face when you're weary. Those things matter. Those things are the little things that add up and up. Enough. I say those things are enough. Don't be weary, dear mother, in trying to keep up with a super mom agenda. There is no super mom, really. That whole super mom who has everything together is just a fallacy. There are real moms, real authentic moms, who admit that they don't have it all together but keep on fighting. Scared and tired moms who keep fighting. Moms who are overwhelmed by keeping up with littles all day long. Moms like you and me who sometimes feel lost in a world of outward accomplishments. A mother isn't based on external perfection. A mother is the person, the woman, just like you, the woman with little ones in her care that she loves and sometimes wonders how she loves them because they're driving her batty, but she still does. She fights, gives, prays, works, and doesn't give up even when she wants to throw in the towel. That's you. Today, tomorrow, yesterday, and I say that's enough. It's more than enough. You're amazing. See? We need Rachel's writing. We want to encourage her. Can't wait to share it with her with you. So let's get right to it. Here we go. Hey, Rachel, welcome to the God Center Mom podcast. I'm so excited to have you on today. I am super excited to be here. This is the best day ever. <laughs> best day ever. So Best day ever, like my kids say, best day ever. Best day it's ever. over PBJs or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're like one of my guests I've actually met in real life, but it was um, a long time ago. I think I was pregnant. So it's got to be like six years ago. So in internet, that was the first time we met, yeah, right? Yeah, yes. internet years, that's yes. a long time. It's like a cat's every time. It is. Together. I think internet years are like cat years, <laughs> like you were saying. Yeah. So I, uh, back in the old blogging days, used to even write up posts to link. What was your, spe- like you did a link up. Remember that was a thing? Oh my goodness. Yes, I did for, you know what? I did that for 120 weeks, I think. It was Friday favorite things. Yes. And it was Really, that was that's the posture of finding joy. The site where it really started, and it was about going through your week and listing out your favorite things from the week. So it was the practice of gratitude. And I think Starbucks was mentioned every third week on mine. But yes, it was. It was there. <laughs> and I would have people that read my blog. They're like, "Yeah, I like your post, but that Friday favorites. That's like awesome. That's the best. That's <laughs> the best." And I think it's because I was talking about other things or other people or, and it's what I get to do on this podcast. I get to introduce listeners to some of my favorite people and resources. And so really you started this too, finding that's joy really fun. and this podcast. So thank you for that. Oh, You're you know what? Honestly, I look back to those early days and the early stages of the internet like that or, or blogging and stuff. And I am so grateful for all those connections because mm. So many of us have branched off into these unbelievably beautiful areas and spaces 
But we were all, it was like the wild west at that moment. We were all just trying to figure out what to do and coding. And, you know, this is before Facebook pages were really crazy. And everyone's like, hey, do you have a Twitter? And so (laughs) it's just been really cool to see these, you know, all of us that I remember meeting so long ago blossom and move into these directions that if we had sat at the table back then, none of us would have ever thought. Yeah. I mean, we, there was, podcasting wasn't even a thing back then and you're doing great work. And I know when we met and I was following you, I adored your dreamy photos. We were just talking about your glammy headshot I'm looking at and you're, you're doing, that's a Nashville filter. (laughs) I mean, I got to give credit where it's due, (laughs) (laughs) but I was always drawn to your perspective of motherhood. You, uh, have how many children? I have seven children and, uh, just a couple, just, just a couple, just, just, yeah, just a few. And my oldest two are grown, which has given me an unbelievable shift in the motherhood perspective, which I, as a writer, like I, I, and I love that, you know, we have these content archives too, because I still have writing from those years when I had a baby and then, and the younger one, but as, so I have that kind of knowledge, but now I have this knowledge of like, I will fully admit to everybody that I actually cheered when my oldest graduated because I thought, woo, one down because, and which we don't talk about that much, but I was thinking I made it through 18 years like this, Mm -hmm. like, and not that motherhood stops per se at that moment, but there is it's different. My daughter lives in Seattle and I live in Nashville now. Mm. And it's a different relationship that we have than when I, when she had to, I guess I would say primarily report to me. Yeah. So it's, it's a really beautiful thing. And when you wrote back then and you write now, um, I know a lot in your life has shifted beyond just your daughter growing up. Do you feel like things you said then you would write again now, or does that perspective even make you kind of pull back on some of that advice you get, you know, do you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, what's interesting about that is it, I totally know. So I'm, I'm in the process of writing a book and I was talking with um, the editor and my editor. And I said, there's a couple things that I've written that I look back and it's more of really, did I write in that style? A lot of it's kind of the grammar style or what mm-hmm. I was thinking, or I was too wordy, but I know I cannot touch it. Like, my self as a writer has progressed from then, but I also know that when I wrote that, I was tapped into that raw emotion of that moment, and to change it would be to be putting a Band-Aid or prettying up something that really needs to stay in that raw state. So I've never gone back and, and changed it except for like obvious grammar errors when I spell there wrong when I'm <laughs> writing too fast or something, But which people will call you out on, but... I've left it. And the advice, I really cherish the words in there because it was written out of such a place of rawness and realness. And there are people that ask a lot to to guest post or for me to write on certain topics. And I tell them, I love this topic, but I am not the person to write it because I would be writing about it from what I perceive as it being like without being the person in it. Mm -hmm. So I am very careful about that too, to never make an assumption about what it's like to step in somebody else's footsteps. But you, you tend to focus in on um, just mom emotions and these inner monologues we play, uh, the failure and the not being enough and the, 
you know, the classic when you're the young mom of, I have all these tasks to do, but they keep telling me to be fully present. And how am I balancing? Like, I need to keep my home, but I don't want to miss these years. What would be the primary message you would give moms about that? Like, when she's feeling not enough, when she's feeling like a failure? So from now, from having the perspective of I'm older, I I was thinking about it because I did have a post that went viral recently that, you know, as a writer, you think sometimes I'll write and I'll think this one is gold. It's gold and it will just sit there. And then there's other times where I just write fast and it just picks up traction. And it was one called, just do the dishes, please. The kids will be fine. Hmm. And, um, that was from the perspective of my second daughter, Chloe came to visit me in Nashville We were driving along and she says, mom, I have to tell you something that meant a lot to me growing up. And I'm sitting in the car thinking it is going to be about these trips or that we did ballet. And she said to me, thank you so much. Thank you so much for making me do the dishes. Hmm. I I was like, seriously, that was what it was. And, but I kept thinking about it. And she said, "I, I really hated doing it. I know I was a pain, but Thank you so much for making me do it because I have friends that don't want to do the dishes because they're dirty or they don't want to get their hands dirty. Mm-hmm. And I, she, I said, she said, I just, you taught me the importance of doing it. So then kind of percolated in my mind of this, just do the dishes. So I started to write about it. Like, I think that a lot of moms, and I know when I was pregnant with my first back, when I had time, I cross-stitched that little poem, cleaning and scrubbing can wait till tomorrow for babies grow up. We've learned to our sorrow. And there was this tension I always had in being a mom about needing to feel like I was fully present. Like I would have this guilt all the time if I did something else because, oh, I should be doing something with the kids until I realized one day that I'm a happier mom when, for me personally, when I have order, if my kitchen is a mess and my kids want me to color, it's very hard for me to be in focus with them Mm. coloring at the table while there is a stack of dishes. And so what I wanted to say was, if you do the dishes, that's awesome. And in t- doing the dishes teaches our children that level of responsibility, that perspective I did not have when I had young kids, but now having older kids who appreciate the fact that I did the dishes and I kept up with stuff, that really matters to them because we're teaching them priorities as well. And that was my breath of, you know, you can't grab every single moment. Uh, and it's impossible. We'd be exhausted and our homes would be a mess because we would be trying to grab every single moment. I think motherhood is a tension of knowing when there's those moments and letting them go. Like when my son Caleb saw the ocean for the first time and he was in his jeans and I just let him get wet. Like hiding all the inside of me was like, it's 58 degrees. It's going to freeze. But <laughs> I, but the, the pictures I got of him yeah. afterwards, pure joy, yeah, pure pure joy. Mm -hmm. And it was because I released it. He turned out fine. But then there's other times where I have to say, you know what, guys, I will play with you in a little bit, but I'm going to do the dishes right now because I know it makes me a better mom because I'm taking care of myself. So for me, it's about grace. It's about knowing that sometimes you'll miss the moment and that's okay. It's okay because you have the opportunity today to have many fabulous moments. And if you live in regret, you're really missing out on moments today. Well, and if you're begrudgingly joining in the moment too, I feel like kids more notice your presence and how they feel like long-term. 
you know? I think they do. I think they do because it was one of my kids that I remember I would say busted me, caught me with it because <laughs> I, I am a horrible player. Like I have told many people this when some moms are awesome at make believe play. I stink. It was not on God's gift of like, you could be a really good player with your kids. You can go have fun. I just, I cannot do it. And I mean, I try, try to be present. But what happened always with me was I would be playing with them and then I'd be like, hey, how about we sort the blocks? And all of a sudden playing morphed into me, like moving the guy around cleaning and (laughs) truth, true. Right. So, right. But I, I just found myself. So sometimes I have to give myself permission to to play intentionally, you know, intentionally for a while, like set a timer and then allow myself to do the rest. Because I think that mothers today, and I, and I've written about this, have a different level of tension versus a hundred years ago, thousand years ago. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. They had to keep their kids alive. Mm -hmm. They had to provide the kids. Like literally make the bread, like make the bread, milk the cow. Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sew the clothes, yeah. do all this. My yeah. kids ask for a button and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> I got to go get a YouTube video. But I mean, I'm confessing that too, but, yeah. But, yeah. but now we have this pressure of now you need to play with them. Now you need to do this. Now you need to do this. And then I, I look at my mother and my mother is this amazing person. And my mom grew up on a farm and my grandma and grandpa worked their tails off. Mm-hmm. And my grandma learned, my mom learned how to, how to do all this work and how to, and she always knew she was loved, but they had to work. And so I feel like that's the breath I want to be able to give moms, like do your best, try your best, but you still have to manage your house. You can't, you can't be playing Barbies all the time. Well, and your role has shifted. Like I said, since I first knew you and you were started writing, um, there's extra pressure on you and we haven't told this part of your story yet, but I think it's valuable for the mom listening who has a similar story and, you know, it's not like you and I said before we got on, it's not a lot of uh, churches out there that are addressing the issue of single moms who are balancing home life and career and <laughs> all the things, uh, you know, and then the added pressure of I have to sit and play and be present and know that my help my kids know that I love them when, you know, it's it's a lot. So talk to the mom, you know, listening, tell her a little bit of your story um, from when we knew each other to today. Well, so it's an interesting story because I think that sometimes people don't really talk about, well, what happened to you? And I get a lot. I I knew that people were curious about my story because as a website owner, I could see what people searched on my website. (laughs) That's really interesting. So you could see like they would type in what? What would they type in? They would type in Rachel Martin husband, Rachel Martin divorce. Uh, They would just, people were curious about it. And then so me as um, an entrepreneur and a website developer as well, I decided to write one post very, very specific to Ant. If people search that, that they would be led to that. Hmm. And there is one post that, and it says, hey, congratulations. If you've searched it, here's your answer. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay. But I just knew it. But But since I did that spot, I realized that people are curious in the way of, the same way as we're going to talk about later with my van fire, everyone's curious, how did it start? Hmm. So there's a level of human interest into it. And I think it's a level of wanting to understand somebody else or wanting to understand yourself or somebody else. And so I don't push back at it anymore. I, I really do tell the story. So when you and I first met, I was married and I was homeschooling 
And from the outside, I tell people I had what looked like the picture-perfect life, but it really was a masked utopia that I worked unbelievably hard to not let anybody see past. Mm. And um, I, I, I just, I was a master magician of that, of making it seem like everything was right. And in that time since then, I went through a divorce and I went through my oldest children, who I've talked so, about so great here, going through a time where they really, and her, our relationship really struggled hmm. because I was such a master at everything, at keeping everybody else uh, oblivious to what was going on. And then um, now I'm a single mom and I had to work, I have to work very, very hard. And the world doesn't know how to respond to that, especially if someone's got a life that looks one way and then it goes everywhere. I, I got many, many things of she's going through a midlife crisis right now or what's going on. And, um, I work so hard because I love my kids. I had a friend of mine tell me, uh, my marriage, there was no, the money was a huge issue and it was never being taken care of. And there's lots of other things that I've, I've been sharing more and more about that. I think the Christian community specifically needs to learn about, but, I had a friend that quoted a Bible verse that said something about someone who does not provide should tie a noose around their neck. And it was, I think it's in the end of Matthew. And she said, that applies to you too, Rachel. And it hit me so profoundly that I need to, I need to step up and um, provide for my kids. So I threw myself into work and traveled and, and, and it was very, very, very hard because I had lots of critics. But again, going back to my grandpa, my grandpa, the farmer, we would go and visit him during harvest time. And my grandpa, I barely saw him because he it was harvest. But I never, ever doubted how much my grandpa loved me. Never once. Never, never. I knew he loved me. So I've, told, I've written an article called The Harvest Years of Motherhood. Because I think there's times in life where, and there's lots of moms that I've met in my own journey, where motherhood doesn't look like the hallmark picture of motherhood. It's getting up early, doing the best you can, working unbelievably hard to provide for them, trying to show up what you can. And it looks messy because it looks like, wow, she's not getting to do stuff. Or for me, they're like, oh, she's traveling. But the people didn't see me crying in the car, in the airplane, leaving Kansas City, going back to Minneapolis and or the exhaustion. But it wasn't, it was about them. It was about picking up the pieces, providing for them. And I think that's the way motherhood has been most of life. Again, going back to having to milk the cow, having to do this. But we've just, we're so blessed to live in a country and a culture where we don't come face to face with survival every single day. And, but I always say if everything changed and we were stripped back down to that survival thing, it would no longer be, look what she's doing. It would be, look how I can help. And that's what I want moms to remember the most is sometimes it's very hard to ask for help. So I always encourage people just show up at the doorstep. My friend Maria would show up at the doorstep with a cleaning bucket in her hand and would come in. Mm -hmm. There wasn't like, hey, could I come over? Because I would have said no. Right. She'd show up. Oh, so much in what you just said. Um I'm thinking of back when it was the pretty pictures and I've looked at them and I would, oh, I wish I could be like Rachel, you know, that would be my thought. Oh, if I could just be as 
good a mom as Rachel is being to her kids and live the life that she's living. And it's beautiful. And you talked about it was this masked utopia. I would love to kind of break that down a little bit for the mom who's creating that. Um, for you with the mass utopia, the, the driver behind it, can we just talk for a little bit for the mom who's struggling? What would it have taken? What did it, what was the final, like, I'm done doing this pretending I'm ready to step out. I'm ready to, um, you know, we can, we're not going to judge divorce. It's not the point of this whole conversation. Uh, the point is there are women just like you out there and I want to help her. (laughs) I want to help her. I want to free her. I want her to be the most whole version that God is calling her to be because this is never our like values put on other people. This is an individual's relationship with God and where God's drawing them. So you are living this life and, and then you were living a different life. What was that transition for you? So I, it's a, it's an interesting place. Um, um, there were several things I had, I had, uh, when you live so long in a utopia or where you create this lies to self, mine was a lot of, and mine was, this is going to sound really odd, but mine was now you and I talked about Friday favorite things, but my gratitude cloaked the problems in some ways. Hmm. And nobody talks about that, but it really did because I would just spend so much time looking there and ignore the stuff that was in my face, like ignoring the fire right there. Cause I would just try to divert. I would ignore, ignore, ignore. And then it became too hot. It literally became too much. Uh, I give the example of, I couldn't keep up with it any more. There is a painting by Rembrandt of Jesus uh, calming the storm. And in the painting, there's, so it's this giant storm in the boat in the Sea of Galilee. And there are disciples up on the mass trying to fix the, the, the way, you know, the mass and the sails. And there's someone puking over the side. And there's three in the back. And two of them are looking content at Jesus. And one of them is looking at him, but holding the rudder. Hmm. And for years, I thought, oh, I want to be the one in the back holding the rudder. And I've known that I've been for all those years, I was the person trying to fix things up on the, up on the mat, you know, the poles I've been puking over the side. And I think the point when I couldn't do it anymore was when I, now I realized like I was walking to the back kind of cocky and I tripped over the rope and fell flat on my face because I could not do it anymore. And what held me back was fear. It was absolute a hundred percent fear of dismantling something. And then I realized the more I got through into it, there was nothing to dismantle because it was already crumbles. It was more of rising up versus dismantling. Like you're trying to protect something that's not even there to protect. Kind of. I kind of was protecting my own ego. I was protecting, um, part of it was my kids, very truthfully. uh, For a long time, I wouldn't come face to face with it because of my children and because of church and how I grew up. But I didn't want to, um, and wanted them to have that life that I thought it was. But I realized if you look at generational issues or all of that, I was perpetuating that as well. I was perpetuating not coming face to face with things. And I have a friend, many friends that told me God is a God of love and all of this. And I was not living in like how deeply he loves me. And I was so pained and so hurting at that moment. So it became 
this letting go. And for many, many years uh, after that, I, I tell people very humbly that I finally understood the faith like a mustard seed because I, I, I was so broken that all I, I could only even just say the word Jesus. That was all a prayer I could get out because mm-hmm. nothing else, everything else felt wrong and superficial. And that was all I had mm-hmm. in those moments. And it sometimes takes being broken to be able to get whole again. Did you have people in your real life, you mentioned your upbringing and um, wanting to have this family life. Uh, did you have people in your life who were supportive of you or who helped you get through that transition? I did. My family was very good. Once I started, so this is an interesting thing. I told several people in, in the beginning, it was a lot of, a little bit surprise, mm-hmm. but the more I opened up, the more uh, people said, oh, that makes sense now. My my dear friend, Maria, she there were always things about me that were peculiar hmm. because that was me hiding it, making things seem a certain way. And then after, I, when I started to fill in the holes about my life and really being honest and broken with her, she was the first person that ever dealt with me when I had an anxiety attack. And uh, when I was honest, then she would say, you know what, that situation from a year ago now it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I thought I had created this utopia for everyone to see, but it was always peculiar for them because I never let people in. I always would say how I never let people in my house. If my kids went on play dates, I'd, I'd stay and kind of watch. And then I'd come outside and greet them like, oh, I just was passing by and just saw that you pulled up. But it was all this, mm-hmm. this persona, this, and it was so much work. It was so much work mm-hmm. versus now I'm just like, yeah, come on in. You know, this is just me Mm. and I don't have that anymore. And releasing that, um, it, it took work. Now it was not an easy thing. I I am almost four years post all of that now. And I will tell the first two years are almost like being underwater in my way, in a way. Mm. And now I can feel this life coming back a little bit, that kind of wholeness that wasn't there. And I know the gal listening who's in those first two years, you know, she's doing that right now. She's on her own. She maybe never thought she'd have to go back to work. She maybe never thought um, this would be her story or her kid's story. What encouragement would you give to her? Well, so I've written about those two. When you were asking, would you go back and change it? And I've read some of those posts that I wrote on being a single mom or 10 things married friends shouldn't tell their single, single moms and stuff like that, that I wrote in those raw places. And I, I've actually wrote, um, something about, I always wanted, but then life happened. And I kind of wrote about as a child, I always wanted like this and that. And I always wanted though. I always joke that I wanted a Hallmark life, but I ended up on Bravo, but (laughs) I know, I know the sarcasm just never leaves, but I, but, I ended up realizing that life can still be beautiful, even when it doesn't look what you thought it should look like. Mm -hmm. And I can love and embrace parts of my life from before and just be grateful for them. But today can absolutely be beautiful, but I have to be willing to accept and embrace where I am today. And I got the best example of that when my son Samuel was diagnosed with celiac disease. And it's a simple thing. 
But the first Christmas, I decided I was going to make cookies. And cookie making in my family was a huge thing at Christmas time. Huge. Like we'd spend weeks at it. And it was my grandma's thing. And we did all this stuff. And then the first year that Samuel had celiac disease, you can't use wheat, decided to make these cookies. And they were a disaster. <laughs> like an absolute. I like, think I've made flat... those cookies before. <laughs> just, oh, you like know, the that gingerbread ones. I don't know. Any yeah. version without wheat to me is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I like it. Just like instead of being like cute little ginger snaps, like it was a it was a plate yeah. of a, a cookie pan of crispy ginger stuff. Mm. And my friend Amy said to me, Rachel, you need to stop trying to live your life replicating what it was or what you think it should be. I want you to be absolutely grateful for all the years of those perfect cookies, but now is your time to create new cookies and new traditions and to love where you are now. Mm. And it just like, even saying it, it just sends, you know, chills down me because I was so still trying to, you know, make it the way it was and the way it was. And now at Christmas, we just make gluten-free cookies and my kids think they're awesome. And I, I'm grateful for the years prior, but I'm just as grateful for now. It's such a good message for anyone where they are any version of their story. I think you and I know writing online can be tricky because what I might say to your face is different than when I have no one to look at. And that's what you were saying with the guest posting. Like I wouldn't say certain things to certain people if I was hearing your story. Um, but I feel like that message of being embracing where you are, making new memories, making new things, making new cookies is right. Is, uh, just really hopeful because I think it's that I should, I should this, I should hold on to that. I'm failing because I'm not. Those are the negative emotional spinning tapes in our mind that keep us from being who God made us to be in the present moment um, for such a time. Like you, I don't know. I don't know what, you know, lies were repeating in your head when you had to take that step out on your own and be the single mom. Um, I don't know if you were like, I'm good. I'm amazing. I can do this. Or if you felt less than, um, even in the business world, you know, well, being in the business world is a different thing. Yeah. 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 It, it, you know, but the lies, um, as a believer, we know that we're supposed to take every thought captive. And I don't think sometimes we apply that to our own motherhood journey and the lies that we tell ourselves in motherhood. Yeah. So I'm failing. Mm -hmm. I'm failing is a lie. It's, it's a thought that we're letting run and we're not taking it captive. And yet it's so quick for us. Oh, I failed again today. Oh, I didn't do enough. Mm -hmm. And that's the thoughts that I want people to be aware of because an emotion isn't who we are in the spirit. It's not ourself. Mm -hmm. An emotion, which I uh, give an example of a lot is imagine if there's a school bus and you're on the bus and there's a full, a bunch of kids. And would you let a child in the back drive the bus? And everybody that I ask this is like, absolutely not. And yet when we allow an emotion to take over or to drive, it's like allowing the, the child in the school bus to drive. Yeah. So taking thoughts captive is saying, no, I'm feeling angry right now, but I knowing in the core that we were not created as anger or I'm feeling overwhelmed right now and learning what the emotion is teaching us. Overwhelm teaches us that something needs to change. And if we can just get that part of it, then we can move away from I'm failing to seeing what I've done well today or knowing that I can do this. Because I tell this to moms all the time, your track record for getting through bad days is 100%. <laughs> if your kids come home with that 100%, we, pr we applaud them. And I do not think 
we look at ourselves and go, well done. You made it through that horrible day. We just go, oh, I failed. These are all the places I didn't do well today. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think it's harder to get through a bad day than a good day. A hundred percent. It's so hard. And yet we still do it. We make it through. We make it through no matter what. We want to wave the white flag of surrender, but we make it through. And there's something powerful about that that is very easy to miss. And that's what I feel like my writing is a lot about. And a really bad day might be when you go to the park with your kids <laughs> and you're about to get out to go on a walk and your van blows up. Let's talk that about that. Could, could that happen? Bad day. That, could that, that happen? Could bad okay. So you know what's funny about that is my, my kids all go to school now. So I went from homeschooling mom to sending my kids to school too, which is another podcast in itself. Yeah. But uh, I sent my kids, the grade schoolers, their teacher, all a note that said, if my boys come into school tomorrow with like a story that seems unreal, let me just tell you, it did happen. <laughs> that was really smart. So, that was really smart. <laughs> I, I just did because I thought my kids are going to come in and say, hey, and my our van blew up or whatever. But yes. So I went to the park on Saturday. I was trying to do the good mom thing. And plus my teenagers were like, yeah, I want to go. And I am telling any mom, any mom, if you have a preteen and a teen and they're like, yeah, we'll go. That is a moment where the dishes can wait. That's when you drop everything. Yeah. You drop them because I was like, they are ready to go. We are going to the park because those moments are priceless for me right now. So I got them in the car, drove drove to the park. And sometimes people think of as coincidences. And I don't know if it was through you or whoever heard it, but someone says they're like God incidences. And I can say that to you. And what happened was, is I missed the turn to the park just barely. And I backed up my van and I turned in. And it was this long road. And on that road, my van, well, first all the warning lights come on. And I was thinking, did I bump the the emergency brake? Because I saw that one first. And I looked down. And then I remember looking and like thinking, oh, the engine's not overheating. Kind of oblivious because you don't expect your van to catch fire. And uh, then the van stalled or died. And there's, if you've ever driven a vehicle with power steering where there's no, it is like, moving a car. I could hardly turn the wheel. And then as I was trying to stop, there were no brakes. So that's the second thing of being protected because this van fires or car fires can happen anywhere at any time. And I could have been going down the interstate at 70 and lost everything. And your vehicle is already on fire at that point, but you don't know it because it's small. So I pulled over and I saw some white smoke, but Remember, my brain was thinking, but my car's not overheating because I had checked that gauge. So I sat in the car and kind of shocked, just sitting there thinking, great, what am I going to do now? And as I was sitting there, texted my friend and he said, well, call State Farm, at least get get your vehicle towed. So, Which is great because this is the third thing that saved me because as he he called me back, right as I was going to get out of the car and open the hood, no, because I think our instinct is... Yeah. It's smoking or yeah, a little it. bit I smoking. Did that. I had smoke coming out of my suburban and I opened the hood. Yeah. Right. Cause that's what you think. That's where, so, but he called and at that moment he called, I got my insurance card and I said to my kids, Oh, you guys need to get out still not thinking that my van is going to be engulfed in three minutes. Just kind of just sitting in there oblivious oh my people. So my son, Caleb gets out and he ended up being on that local news. He's such a, so proud of it, but <laughs> he gets out and, um, He's, and I, I actually want to get the fire department to give him a medal because mm-hmm. he did exactly what kids are taught. 
He says, mom, I see fire. There's fire. And at that moment, it wasn't like, hey, guys, get out. It was get out of the van. And you know how when you tell your kids, like, they know I am not arguing with her. Yeah. They were out of that car so fast. And my oldest daughter and the two uh, preteen boys and teenage son, they kind of hung together. And um, a grandmother that I didn't know took care of my two little boys because I had to secure the perimeter. Once my kids were safe, I counted them like, I don't know, 30 times. Uh, I, I felt like I had to save everybody else. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to describe that. But, but here's my vehicle. Fight or flight. You just like were like. I did. I did. Yeah. And I, I burnt my foot because oblivious. Again, as the kids are getting out, I see fire dripping out from the bottom of the car. No. Like I should have thought dripping fire. That may be really hot. But I just went into fight or flight again. So it was on the ground. And I was thinking if I can just stall it before. You know, you just don't think. And. I will tell you that that fire was of a temperature I have never experienced in my entire life. Like you I just stepped on it? I put my foot underneath, the, so it's underneath my van, and instead of stepping on it with the sole of my foot, which would have been maybe ideal, I ended up scraping my foot no. underneath like I was drawing out no. the fire, and it melted. I had running shoes on, melted the running shoe. No. Yeah, melt like it's dripping on the side of my running shoes, like black no. Adidas black dripping stuff. So super, super painful. Right. No, but when the firefighter to check me later, I said, I think I burnt my foot. And he goes, Oh, well, your shoes kind of melted. And he pulls off my shoe and he goes, well, honey, I have to take off your sock, but it's melted to your skin. Oh "Oh." my goodness. The most painful thing. Oh, Oh, I've heard burn units. It's awful. Oh, Oh, and this was a small burn. I can't imagine small in the scheme with some second degree, second degree burn, whatever. But but still enough to a reminder of how worse it could have been, how much worse it could have been. You know what? That was it. And so I kept thinking, so going back to how we missed that intersect, the turn, here's another protection thing is I was a hundred feet from the parking lot. Wow. If I had made the turn, I would have been in the parking lot of a park where there is about 400 crazy others, all these people. Mm. And I ended up for a van fire. I ended up in kind of a field in a park not in the school pickup line where I was, not at the grocery store where I was that morning, not on the interstate, mm-hmm. but in a field where my state, my insurance adjuster says, well, was there property damage to anything else? And I said, it was only the grass. Mm-hmm. So Man. there were so many things, but what I really want to say to moms listening is if you see the smoke and you at all get out of your car, no matter what, and do not open the hood because the doctor that checked me today worked in the burn unit and she said, and which I verified with lots of people in my research is fire craves oxygen. And if you have a fire in your engine already, when you open the hood, it can create a fireball immediately and, or my hands could have burned to it or all sorts of things. So I, I learned not to open the hood, get everybody out. I had somebody say to me when the top, so it, the hood part was on fire first. And this man said, do you have something left in the van we need to get? And I said, sir, my kids are out. That's just stuff. And it was probably 20 seconds later that the fireball ripped through the entire van. So the the cabin gets deprived of oxygen. So fire craves oxygen. So it shot through the van in less than a second and fireballed out, the, broke the back window. Oh, my gosh. And I thought, there is nothing in that van that was, like, I could have gone back. What, what I'm going to save a, a $200 Nintendo DS? So yeah. that's the second thing. Don't ever go back for 
anything. Like you hear that as a kid, like if there's a fire, get out of your house. Don't go back for anything. But when the reality of it was happening, I think I can see how people think, oh, there's time, but there was nothing. You don't, you just don't know. And, um, so get out, get a hundred feet away and don't go back. And for parents with young kids, my big mission now is get a seatbelt cutter in your car. Even if you think you'll never use it because many moms on my site wrote, how did you get your kids out so fast? Well, my youngest is seven. Right. So, so you can just get out it. right yeah. now, yeah. get out. But if I had three kids in car seats, mm. um, I, I looked at the text time from when the phone call came in with my friend where we first noticed the smoke to it being fully engulfed was seven minutes. Mm. And that was fully engulfed where tires are blowing out and things are. And I think the fire that was in the front part of the cabin was about three minutes of us getting out. So even though it felt like an hour while wow. we were out there. <laughs> I mean, and this was but, last week. This was, it was it was Saturday. Yeah, yeah this just, just happened Last five, four days up. ago. Oh my gosh. Five days ago. You're still recovering. Yeah, but it's still really fresh. And I'm thinking, even the, you know, you're talking about physical, like actual tangible tips you're giving people. Like if it's smoke, don't open the hood and don't go back. And then I'm thinking about your story, and uh, thinking about the mass utopia, and how often there's something going on. There's smoke. There's an obvious problem. Or your friend that saw the anxiety attack, there's an obvious problem. And, uh, right. and we're not, we're not doing something about it. You know, not that the doing something about it is opening the hood and letting it get worse. Uh, but if you would have, I think it's being more than saying, I, I, I question like you, you and I talk to people all the time and I tell moms all the time, you are worth more mm -hmm. than I'm fine. Mm -hmm. I'm, if you find, if I found myself, I'm fine. I'm mm -hmm. fine. Mm -hmm. And fine is a lie. Most of the time I've discovered in women that I've talked to, I'm fine is kind of the, I don't want to look at that, that, that all the emergency lights are on in my, you know, yes. my own life right now. Yes. It'll and be okay. Looking I'll just at stay it, in the car. Yeah. yeah. It's no big deal. It'll be all right. It's no big deal. And there are stuff that's going on in homes that's, that are big deals. And yeah. there are things that aren't rightly ordered. And sometimes rightly making rightly uh, your life rightly ordered doesn't look like the way that we are told life should be. Mm -hmm. But living a life of a utopia that you are pretending is rightly ordered I believe is worse in some ways. Bring somebody in. I had friends that would say, you know, this isn't normal, but I had convinced myself it was normal. Mm -hmm. So I always listen carefully. I listen to redirection. I'm fine. It's no big deal. Excuses. Yeah. Covering up. Yeah. Saying yep. something real that sounds like red flaggy. And then the person immediately has some excuse of why that's happening. That to me is it like warning light, like, some, some counselor, something needs to happen here because what you just told me and how you're responding to it are not lining up. Right. You know, Chris Brogan, uh, he's an uh, entrepreneur and he's written some books. He had a video out that said should means if you say should, you're just saying won't. Mm. And I, lots of people, I should, I know I should be doing that. I should be. And it's an excuse of I'm not going to do it. Yeah. So I've caught myself saying, oh, I know I should do that because it's kind of the perpetual excuse of, I'm just going to ignore it. Or I used to live, if this happens, then I'll be happy. Mm. And if never was happening and life was just going by. And mm. so at some point you have to put a stake in the ground. Beth Moore talks about it in her Breaking Free book when they crossed the Jordan River. 
And across the middle, I think it was Joshua that he, the Lord said, you need to put an altar in the middle, but don't look back. It's like a stake in the ground. Mm-hmm. And there are moments in life that no matter what, I mean, they were going into a new land where they knew nothing and it looked nothing like what it was. And they were told to not look back, but remember and move forward. So God brought you to this place and he's going to see it through. And like he did, and he protected y'all. And even though the circumstances aren't, we think, oh, well, why did God let that happen? We live in a pretty broken world. And I'm excited because all the gals listening could be part of the miracle of God providing a new vehicle for you because one of your friends has started this GoFundMe page and I'd already reached out to you about being on the show and then the van fire happened and then I saw the GoFundMe and I was like, all right, this is what we're doing for Mother's Day because I can't think of a better way to be for a mom than to be for a single mom of seven who is encouraging. I think I saw one of your posts had been shared 1.9 million times. So you're out there sacrificing time, pouring your heart out, sharing your story, Um, So another mom can say me too. And so we need to get behind you. This is um, one tangible way we can do that since it's so easy to say, no, I'm fine. (laughs) I don't need your help. We can, you need our help and it's okay. And it's a blessing to us to be part of this flash mob of, of uh, goodness, mom, goodness, moms need to be for each other. This isn't a competition. Um, I heard today, Ego always has an enemy. So if my ego is, I'm an amazing mom, look at all these things I've done, then the enemy is you, another mom who's maybe doing it better than me. Uh -uh. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-uh. Uh-uh. If we're Mm -hmm. for children being loved and the next generation, then I'm just for you as I am for me. And so it would be a blessing. I'm going to put the link in the show notes, y'all. I'll probably share on social media again. I don't know if it has an end date. Does the Do GoFundMe's end? I, I didn't know very much about them. My friend set it up uh, for me, but I'm going to tell you something and I know we have to go, but again, my ego got in the way. Mm. My friend reached out to me and I was like, no, 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 I'll be fine. No, no, no. And it was my mother that I talked to and she said, Rachel, <laughs> she said, Rachel Marie. So I thought, yeah, this oh, is serious. That's her got, serious voice. No, and she serious. said, I have had people at church ask how they can help you. And she says, and your readers have been asking and your friends have been asking how to help you. And you are being so stubborn about your pride, getting in the way of people that love you, wanting to help you in this moment. She said, you need to let your friend do this for you. Mm. And my mom just slapped a little bit of sense in me because sometimes it's hard to receive, but it has been this unbelievably beautiful thing because I've had people that have read for a long time that have left these comments or they're, they're single moms and they know what it's like. And one person said, your village is behind you. Hmm. And, uh, I've written that for so long that we have lost community. And that's what I wanted to create more than anything with my site is a community of women that loved each other, no matter what. So this GoFundMe thing has been this beautiful place of community because all of a sudden this community that I so strive to take care of and to build came in and rallied behind me and I am just unbelievably blessed by it. I'm thinking about too that mass utopia where really the fear is rejection, right? We we keep up perfect because we don't want to be rejected. We want to be accepted. But now that you are unmasked and your car is literally on fire and there's ashes and it's all out there, you are finding more acceptance and beauty and love 
than if it in that place of masked utopia. So you're modeling that for all of us. And I really think it's a wonderful thing. Really, truly. Well, thank you. No more van fires, but good. Thank you. <laughs> we don't thank need you. that I'm, lesson I'm, twice. Uh, we can do I'm it one time. I know. I'm out. And when I saw the urgent care doctor, I'm like, I know I'm coming in with another bizarre thing because my son had been there a couple weeks ago with some tick in an odd spot. So I'm like, it's me. <laughs> I, I think I'm a one percenter with odd things happening. So. Well, with four boys myself, we have visited quite a few. Quite a few. Oh, yeah. I'm like, it's me again. Here we are. The freaking parking spot. (laughs) (laughs) We have learned which dock in the box places to avoid and which which are good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think Adele's song, like the Hello one or all those things, I'm like, yeah, that should just been written for me for certain places. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Rachel, where can people find you online? I know we've mentioned it a couple times, but just so they know for sure. Where are you? All right. Well, you can find my website at findingjoy.net. And then on Facebook, it's Finding Joy blog. Uh, but if you type in finding joy, I typically pop up right away. So those are the two places where I am the most active and on Facebook, feel free to drop a message to that site. If you heard me here, or want to connect more, I, I try very hard to get to them. Sometimes it takes me a little bit, but I do try. Well, we will give you tons of grace. You've got a lot going on and, uh, y'all, I'm going to put that link. Let's, let's show Rachel some love. I know y'all can do this. You God Center mom listeners. You're amazing. So thank you, Rachel praying for your family. Thank you. Thank you for letting me chat. It's just been like a re- wonderful reunion. Yeah, again. it's so, so good. It's very so fun. So good. So good. All right. Have a good day. Thanks. You too. All right. You made it. You made it to the end, whether you divided it up over the course of the week or it's three months from when this pub- this show went live, you finished. And, you know, I, I really am praying and hoping that the joy you know how Rachel's site is called Finding Joy, that you would just be blown away by it. I heard a sermon today that was differentiating happiness and joy, and we've kind of heard that before, but it was interesting. He he said, happiness is when we are crafting the situation to be happy, and joy is unexpected and surprises us, like C.S. Lewis, surprised by joy, that uh, it's something that catches us off guard. And since it is a fruit of the Spirit, it's something that comes from being plugged in to Christ, to being with Him no matter what the circumstances are. In the Ellie Holcomb episode, uh, she and I talked about that grounded joy, even in the midst of the hardest things. Um, We can find joy even if happens. And if you're a mom who could identify with Rachel's single mom journey and you're looking for more episodes in regards to that for some encouragement, check out episode eight. (laughs) That sounds like a long time ago. It was one of my first ones. It was with a friend of mine, Rebecca, and the title of it is Redeeming Love. And I know that you will be encouraged by Rebecca's story. For all of you, may you have a wonderful Mother's Day. I pray for appropriate expectations. I know I've had those Mother's Days where um, my expectations may have been a little bit high and I left a little disappointed. And I pray that you can just see the love in your kids' eyes when they see you and uh, trust that God sees the unseen holy work you do every day. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the God-Centered Mom podcast. If you're looking for more resources on how to replace me with he, go to GodCenteredMom.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guest. I want you to really understand and know 
that God is just as present while you are washing dishes at your kitchen sink as while you are worshiping Him in a church pew. He sees your service to your family and He is pleased. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with His love and He will rejoice over you with singing. Have a great day.